Hello and welcome back to the Business of Show Business podcast with me, your host, Jamie Boddy. Unpacking the skills needed for the entertainment and creative industries and celebrating those already in them. We are on episode 6 of season 3 and it's April 2021 and here in the UK that is the start of a new tax year. So I thought why not bring on an expert to help us with tax. Today I speak to Owen Woodgate who is the managing director of Tax for Actors. It is a jam-packed episode. Not only do we dive into tax and he gives you some tips and tricks and methods to help you when it comes to being self-employed and filing your own tax as a creative, it's also a really interesting episode as we find out more about his journey in the entertainment industry and how the skills he learned as a performer has helped him to go on and run multiple companies. Now let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Business of Show Business podcast, we are taking the stress out of tax and we are talking to the Managing Director of Tax for Actors, Owen Woodgate. How are you doing, Owen? I'm all right, Jamie. Uh, considering what we're going through, I'm doing all right. Exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? This um, this goalpost of post-COVID life just keeps getting pushed back, doesn't it? I just, I, you feel constantly in a state of limbo and, uh, and I know that I've been seeing a lot of things on Twitter about how people feel this inability to plan for the future, because every time you make a plan, something changes. And it, I think it gets really disheartening. So I think we're all living in this state of, I'm not gonna plan anything. I'm not gonna do a holiday. I'm not gonna put a business plan together. I'm just gonna wait. Which um, I think for freelancers and performers is the worst because we're always, we're so on the go all the time. You're like at an audition, going to class, you're trying to do update your spotlight, your email marketing, whatever. And now it's like, oh, we have to stop. And that is so uh, integral to being a performer or somebody even who's just self-employed is that it's all about the graft and you've just made a decision not to work in just a, a salary job, you've said, I'm gonna set up my own business and I'm gonna be responsible for its success. And at the moment, you you have no other option but to sit back. And I bet that is, that's so hard for everybody. No, completely. I think you just put it so eloquently there. And I think, especially the performers who are listening, um, it's always forward facing, isn't it? You perform, you get the applause, you're waiting for the camera to shout action. We're now actually almost having to stop and think, what do I want? What is my life outside of performing? Where normally when you're in the hustle, you don't get that opportunity to stop and kind of process that. And I think that is the, the one positive to take out of lockdown. We've all been forced to take a step back take our foot off the pedal a little bit and you get a bit of headspace, you know, to just allow your thoughts to go in different directions and sort of find yourself a bit more. I mean, certainly for me, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I've this year had a lot more headspace to focus on certain things and I've really kind of welcomed it. Any freelancer, you put your heart and soul into it and the, the line sometimes blurs from when it's business and when it's you. So then when you have to maybe think about something different or pivot your career or try something new, you almost feel a bit naughty, like you're turning your back on it. And it's I guess there's a that slight um, internal friction, isn't there? I um, Somebody tweeted, like, you should define yourself um, not as an actor. You are a person who acts. Um, and I think 
during this kind of this time, it's never been more important to establish yourself as an individual person. And it just so happens that your job is that of acting or performing. Because I think when you're in the grind and the graft, especially when you graduate, especially when you're, you're in that three year college setting, a lot of the time, you do start to define yourself by your work and by your creativity. Um, and I guess the positive of lockdown is that people are starting to make that separation that you can be an individual person not defined by your craft and I think that's quite healthy to be honest. No I love that and I think that kind of we won't um, dive into it too much but like that that tackles the whole idea of identity and how we sometimes what becomes part of our identity but what do we sometimes let ourselves be defined by and I think you just put it lovely there when it's you are a human being who happens to act or sing or dance and it is part of your identity because it's your passion but it doesn't define all that you are. I think it's a percentage of your identity of course you know I whilst I I was a performer and I went through performing arts college and acted for for years and now I I don't perform as much or very little really um being a performer is still 10% of who I am. That doesn't leave you. Uh, we're recording this podcast now. I'm on, you know, I'm on show. So it's still part of who I am. I don't, I don't feel because I've stepped away from uh, performing on a bigger scale that I've lost that part of my identity. Um, yeah. No, 100%. I had a friend who took a bit of time out to become an air steward and she said, for her, that was still like a little galley that you walk up and down. That was like her catwalk. That was her stage. She wore her uniform. So that was her costume. She had to do the safety announcements. That was performing. Yeah. And I think that's so true. But I'd love to jump on that, what you said there. So your journey is you started off studying like economics, but then you took time away and you went to Mount View and then you worked in the industry a lot as a performer. So they're two very different worlds. Like how does how did that even happen? Oh, I, I, I wish I knew, Jamie. And I, I, I'll be honest, I think it was the allure of females. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I was a 17-year-old boy who had been to a very academic school and my path was laid out for me. Um, and my sister was doing lots of part-time acting. She went to, you know, stage school when she was much younger. And I saw what she uh, was experiencing sort of through the week and in holidays and going, that looks really fun. Um, and I sort of just piggybacked off her and suddenly I was exposed to this world where you could you could be, oh, I don't know, more gregarious. Um, and I was meeting new people and exciting people, you know, a perf performers, which from my background I'd never really mixed with before. And I think it just sort of, brought out part of me that already existed you know I, I loved to sing well you know when I was a 10 year old so like that was a big part of what I did um so yeah so I just sort of found performing just quite late in life and thought I had a choice to go to university and study economics or I had the choice to go to Mountain View and study performing and I thought if I don't go and study performing now I'm going to regret it and I want to give myself the best chance of succeeding. And at the end of the day, if I get two or three years into the industry and it doesn't work out, I can always go and 
retrain or, or go back to university to do economics. That's never going to go away. So luckily, the the gamble sort of paid off, I guess. <laughs> and I think what's lovely there is that you actually had the courage to do it. The older we get as well, we almost, you know, when you're a child, you're like fearless, aren't you? You're like, I'll jump off anything. I'll like whatever. But then as an adult, you'll get a bit more sensible. So I think I love the fact there that you just had the courage to give it a go. And like you said, the gamble worked out in that instance. And the skills we learn as performers, I think, are so transferable to any walk of life or any industry. I mean, my... Uh, my wife and I were talking about it the other day. Uh, we've got young kids. They're sort of five years old. And whilst we don't necessarily have any aspirations for them being performers, we are encouraging them to take uh, performance classes. You know, they go to dance. They go to a little musical theatre class. Uh, not not necessarily for them to pursue it as a career, but because of the socialising and the um, life skills that performance gives you um and already in our in our three young kids their confidence and their ability to talk to people far outstrips a lot of other children of their age and we haven't done anything special you know we've just sent them to a few dance classes but already they're, they're such confident children when they're talking to other adults it's it's amazing. And those are the transferable skills, whether you're five years old or whether you're 18, 19 going through college, that they're, they're going to stand you in really good stead. I think that will resonate a lot with listeners because, I, again, I say this all the time, but our skills sometimes we we only we define our skills as performers, maybe to in that audition or in your self tape. So we sometimes don't see the value of our skills outside of that. And even for what I do now, when I went on to retrain as a journalist and in marketing, if I'd said to myself 13 years ago at college, oh, by the way, you'd be doing this, I would have thought that's not even possible. But actually, I think the resilience that we learn, the, the the fact you can pick up things quickly, how you can meet new people, fake it till you make it. These skills are so valuable. Absolutely agree. I, like, I can't disagree with that at all. I think uh, the ability to pick things up quickly is amazing. Like the, that, that is applicable in any work situation, whatever the industry. Um, talking to other people, confidence when talking. Um, a slight tangent. So last year, year and a half ago, we interviewed for a staff member for Tax for Actors. Um, and on the basis we weren't having a great deal of luck through just our contacts, we put an ad out on Indeed, you know, the recruitment website. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, like the, the bless them because the, they're out there now working, but we interviewed three people and the interview process was achingly painful. You know, my wife and I sat there and interviewed them and just, they could barely talk to us. You know, they, every answer, you know that they'd preformed it. They were unable to think on their feet and just interact with us as human beings. And that's difficult because me and my wife are performers and we love to talk. So we found the interview process really difficult when we were talking to people whose social skills didn't maybe match up with um, our friends and, and, and colleagues, 
who do come from a performing background. Does that make sense? Completely. Skill set is one thing, but you actually need that chemistry, the community, the conversation with someone. So they could be the the best at what they do. But if they've got if they're not like charismatic and you don't want to work with them, you're not going to enjoy that relationship. Absolutely. And we didn't hire any of them. We just sat it out. But yeah. So let's talk about the skills. So you are truly multifaceted because you spent several years as an actor's agent. And then you're also now alongside Tax for Actors. You're the managing director of Magnetic Entertainment Limited. As a freelancer creative, you've got your workflow. You understand that. For someone on the outside, they might think, gosh, that's a lot to do. So let's just tackle that, really. Your time management... Do you have anything in place or how do you like to run or what business skills have you kind of learned along the way that have helped you kind of still dabble in performing on your terms, run tax for actors and also give employment to other performers? Uh, yeah, really good question. I uh, so my I think it's um, I set up a goal. Uh, it was about five, six years ago. Um, it was around about the time that my wife and I were just dating but we were getting a bit more serious you know we'd moved in together we'd bought our first house and suddenly it sort of moved something in my my brain to say right it's now time to start taking life seriously you know um and my kind of one of my goals was I I wanted to be a present parent um and that seems weird because, you know, we've only just become parents recently, but I never wanted to be the person that was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week and not be there, one for my wife, but also for my children. So I've always wanted to create my work life that allowed me flexibility to be there for my children and also enjoy time with my wife. And now it doesn't always work out. Like some weeks, you know, certainly now in self-assessment season, I am working many more hours than I usually do. Um, but because I run both of my businesses, I have ultimate control and I have ultimate control of my time. No one else can, you know, dictate when I'm at work. If I want to sleep in until 10 o'clock and start work at 10, I can. If you know, my kids are on half term. I can spend the day with them, put them to bed, and then I can drive down to the office and I can work from 7 p.m. until midnight if I want. And I think that's what I always aimed for when I started to, I, I don't know, so the, the both of the businesses started to grow. Um, so that was the goal. How did I sort of achieve it? Because I feel like I, I'm almost there. Um, I was, I think the, the biggest change for me was uh, taking on my first employee. Um, and that was about four years ago and completely changed my relationship with business and work because suddenly I had someone there who took a lot of the strain. I mean, me and my wife worked together. That's um magnetic entertainment we're, we're co-directors of that so we'd always work together on projects but having someone here in the office doing set jobs just freed up my time uh it was like the the veil was lifted from my eyes suddenly I was like oh my god I don't I don't have to do every single piece of this puzzle I have somebody else who I can delegate work to 
and it, it changed everything. It allowed me time to focus on the business rather than being in the business. Um, I mean, tax factors in particular, from day one, it's been going 10 years. Um, it was me doing everything. It was absolutely me. And that meant, you know, I had a finite amount of time, so I could only take a finite amount of clients. As soon as Nikki came on, who's our bookkeeper, suddenly she was taking 15 to 20 hours of work away from me in a week, which gave me the time to concentrate on the business and go, right, okay, what are we going to do with the website? How are we going to make our processes better? Um, you know, researching the best accounting software. These were all things that I just couldn't do when it was just me. Um, and now tax tractors, we have myself and three employees, uh, a magnetic entertainment, there's myself and three employees. So my job becomes more about managing the team rather than me having to, you know, micromanage every single decision that goes on. There's so much in there I want to unpack because I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love the fact, first of all, that again, when we're in our own careers and business, releasing the reins a bit and delegating or hiring someone else, it's quite a hard thing to do because it's your little baby. But I love that you did that. And then actually, that means that you're more productive. You could get on with the things that from a managerial point of view, you had to, you could do. And then you had someone else underneath you that you trusted. So I absolutely love that. And I think more freelancers need to get better at hiring someone, whether it's just a graphic designer for your logo or a web designer or a copywriter or someone for your showreel. Like if you've got the money and the time um, to research, I think that's great. I also love the fact that dispelling the myth of if you're freelance, you can't really get a house or have a family. And I think that's lovely. Um, so for you as a multifaceted creative, how was that mindset process when you went from being more forward-facing on stage to behind the scenes but building a career you want? Because I think that's another battle sometimes with performers. It's that, okay, people might not be clapping me every day now because I'm coming from on stage to behind the scenes, so to speak. Yeah, and that Magnetic Entertainment, so our, our corporate production company, that exists, or at least in its early days, existed out of my personal need to perform. You know, if, if I didn't want to perform anymore, it probably wouldn't have existed. I needed to sing. I needed to dance. I needed to go out there and perform. And I still do, you know, on occasion when the time is right. And, you know, the client says it's a gig at the Dorchester Hotel in London, all expenses paid and your fees massive. Yeah, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to have a sing song. Um, <laughs> but that that's where magnetic entertainment came out of you know I was gigging a lot anyway you know between acting jobs I was doing a lot of like uh, function bands and tribute shows and little singing gigs here and there and that's it facilitated my performing side um, so I I didn't really have to lose the not lose the create I didn't have to kind of switch my mindset until quite recently um, how does it how does it happen um, so yeah, I still do perform. So I suppose I get a bit of it, but I guess I get validation, you know, sort of external validation. And I try not to be guided by external validation, but we all do, um, is how it's kind of the performance of tax actors. There's nothing better for me when we finish a client self-assessment, send it off, 
and then they send a little tweet that says, oh my God, tax to saved me this year. It wasn't stressful at all. Thank you so much. I'll see you again next year. Like that for me gives me enough ego um, boost, you know, to roll me on for a couple of days. Like I, I get my validation from other places. If people are being vocal about their support for my company, I know we're doing something right. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And that hits home quite a lot with me because I one of my values I say I feel is recognition. And, and for me, I realised that was quite a driving force, even now when I work more in marketing and journalism, because it's not the recognition of like people standing up and applauding you all the time, although I love that as a performer. But when I've kind of flipped my world and what I do now, it's that recognition, as you said, if someone tweets about my masterclass or leaves me a nice review on my podcast, things like that gives you the same fulfillment as you said kind of strokes the ego a bit but in a way that you know you're on the right path i would say that's a really good exercise for performers um because we're talking about performers you know and this is meant to a podcast that helps them is it's an exercise that would be really good for all performers to do is to one day really sit down and think what was your motivation behind doing performing you know who's kind of like, I don't know, validation do you, are you seeking? Um, I'm, I'm a, a big advocate of um, counselling, therapy. Um, I've done it at numerous times in my life and sometimes it's just nice to talk to somebody. I don't necessarily have any major mental health concerns. You know, I'm quite uh, lucky in that respect. But I've really benefited from talking to people about things in my life and, and things have come up and part of my I don't know drive is to seek some sort of praise from my parents you know it's a very Freudian concept but uh, you know it's it's not a big part of my driving force but it's in there you know I want my parents to go well done son you've done a brilliant job we're really proud of you um and that I have to admit that that is a small proportion of what drives me um i have other driving forces and yeah the, the the tweets and the emails and the reviews and the testimonials uh fulfill the other side of things and i would say that a good um exercise for performers is to allow yourself to think about what is driving you what are you seeking because i think performing when it's going well and you're on stage and you get the claps it does fulfill that side of you but when you're out of performing you're not being fulfilled um so if you are going to pivot or you know have a side hustle or something is that going to be enough is that going to fulfill something in you that need uh and for me tax actors was kind of enough for me um it gave me the things that I needed. I, I, one of my drivers is financial security. And I found uh, kind of the, I don't know, the struggling actor moniker quite difficult to live with. I struggled with that a lot, not being financially secure. Um, so now that I have my own businesses and they're doing well, that that's there. Like it's fulfilled me. Like I feel much calmer. Um, yeah, 
no, I, I absolutely love that this conversation has gone here because I wasn't even planning it. But no. I think, but no, but I love it. I think knowing like your driving forces or values can make such a difference and help guide you with your career choices. And for me, for a long time, I used to think busy was good. Look how busy I am. I'm, I'm a bit stressed and got anxiety because I'm working so much. When actually, when I realized that value, when I drilled down into it, was actually adrenaline. That's why I love performing. It was the, the rush of being on stage. It was the last minute travel. It wasn't the stress of having to learn a routine in an hour or getting cut. And then in my business career, it's that adrenaline of means I like to take on clients now that I know move quite fast pace and have flexibility and creativity. So I think... What you said there is gorgeous, and I'm so glad you said it. Because, as you said, I think a lot of creatives need to sit down and even make a list of what what makes them tick or what what inspires them and makes them happy. So, yes, Owen, good job. Yeah, and part of that is you need you need a plan, you need a goal, you need a you can map out your career for 15 years. I think that that is a great exercise um, because it says, right, I, I do have an aspiration. I want to be playing Glinda in Wicked by the time I'm 30. And, and that should be your, your goal to aim for, for sure, because it gives you laser-like focus. Um, but it's okay that you don't achieve it, but it gives you a direction to aim for. And along the way, there'll be deviations from the course and there'll be tangents and other things will come into your life that will fulfill you. But, and you may have to reassess your plan after a few years. Um, but I think it is important that you don't sort of circling back, you don't get caught up too much in the hustle because then you lose that focus about where you want to go. And it might be a role, it might be an amount of money you earn every year, it might be uh, countries that you want to visit through work. There might be so many things that you're driving towards, but I think you need to have a focus. And I think that's difficult if you're, um, you know, too uh, overcome by the whole grind of being a self-employed performer, for sure. No, definitely. And goal setting, big or small, again, is such a good tool that I think a lot of creatives... We sometimes put power in, oh, I've got an agent. That means I'll get an audition or I'm having a singing lesson with this teacher. And so sometimes we give our power away a bit too much, I think. But um, no, I think everything you said there was fantastic. So let's kind of jump forward to where you are now. You've had such a fantastic mixture of avenues in the creative arts to where you are now managing your companies and tax for actors for seo purposes it's perfect like if someone searches i would actually need tax done you're coming up which is great so how did the this brainchild become a company uh i like money jamie i like money a lot um and like i said it was a driving force for me financial stability um i like numbers like i said i was going to study economics i did maths and double maths and economics at a level like i just they just resonate with me like they make me feel calm so i always had that in my personality um essentially i, I started off uh at performing as self-employed and i was doing my own tax return you know i i found the concept quite um straightforward we had a a little tax talk when I was at college and I sort of ran with that, did a bit of research. Um, and every year that I went on in my career, I was faced with a, 
a new conundrum. You know, year one, I worked in the West End and I did a panto. Then year two, I went on uh, a UK tour. Year three, I was on an international tour. Year four, I had a couple of commercials. Year five, you know, I was on a cruise. Like, I, I've had quite a varied performance career, um, which kind of started this this kind of mindset of researching, you know, what it means to be self-employed and the whole self-assessment process and taxes, etc. Um, and I think it was like 2010, um, a couple of my friends, literally people I went to college with, were like, Owen, I'm really struggling with my tax return. Do you want to just come around and give me a hand? I was like, yeah. I was like, buy me a couple of beers and um, we'll sit down and do your, your tax. And I, I think I did that for like three friends. You know, didn't think anything of it. Anyway, the next year, those friends had spoken to a few of their friends and then suddenly, like, 10 Sundays in the year, I was going around to people's houses, drinking their beer and doing their tax return. Um, and there, I think year three, I was like, I feel like I'm offering a service and I feel like I should charge for it. So I think like year three, I think I charged like 50 quid. I was like, beer's not going to quite cut it. Um, send me your stuff. I charge you 50 quid. I'll do it for you and then I'll send it back. And that was it. And then suddenly just, you know, do a good job, be communicative, have faith in your work, do your, you know, be diligent in what you do and recommendation after recommendation after recommendation and it spread quite quickly. Um, so for the first few years of Tax for Actors, it was, it was just born out of, people needing a service that was a bit more straightforward and approachable, I guess. It was just my, you know, it's just my mate Owen helping me with my tax. It's not some accountant sat on a pedestal that they, you know, they feel disconnected with. Um, and when my client list started to get, you know, a lot bigger, it was then that I thought, right, I know what I'm doing, but I need to go away and kind of prove to somebody that I know what I'm doing. So I went back to college part-time whilst running Tax Fractors, whilst um, running Magnetic Entertainment, and I and I studied um, my accounting qualifications uh, and worked my way slowly through those, um, all the while growing Tax Fractors. And that's where we are now. And now we have other employees who have also gone through that pathway and yeah, we're quite quite lucky, really. And I guess that's my, uh, what's the, the takeaway from that is, um, or I guess my advice for self, uh, like for side hustles, um, and I say this to, in any podcast or interviews I have, is find the audience or find the customer first before uh, you kind of, launch your product. 
just taking a quick moment to pause so we can A, say thank you to Owen for sharing so much information already, and then B, just so you can get a pen and paper ready as we dive deeper into tax and his journey in the arts. I'll make sure to put Tax for Actors contact details in the show notes. And if you are enjoying the episode, don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast listening platform and leave your review. Now back on with the show. You know, I already had uh, 25, 30 clients before I'd even charged a penny, before I had a website, before I'd spent any money going back to college and, you know, retraining, before I invested in an office, like all of those things. I already had clients and I already established that there was a need and there was a want for a service that was slightly different to what was out there. Um, so my monetary investment was zero at the point that I decided to make it an actual business. And I think a lot of people, and I, I, God, I'm not being condescending at all. What I'm saying is a lot of people invest, you know, right, I'm going to do my side hustle and I'm going to spend £2,500 doing X, Y, Z. Yet they think that they've created something magical but you haven't got anybody to buy it yet. So it's not a viable business. You don't know if you're, you know, the thing you've created, someone's going to buy it. Is there a way that you can seek your customers before you invest heavily? You know, let's take, uh, I don't know, candles. Cause I know, you know, that's a, a, I've got a few friends making candles and selling them online and they're doing very well. But if you were to be a new person selling candles, could you make a small batch and pop down to a farmer's market and maybe sell them? See what the, the reaction is. You know, if you sell out within 30 minutes at a farmer's market and you're like, oh, my God, I could have sold 200 of these today. Then you know that you've got customers and there is a demand for what you've created. Then it might suggest, oh, I could invest a bit of money in this. But I think a lot of people go all in very early without kind of establishing whether anybody actually wants to buy your product or service yeah that's music to my ears because i i get some people come to me looking to market their products or their services but they they are passionate about it they've been doing it it's their dream it's their baby so they've been working on it but actually we think we have to you drill down like who is your ideal client is anyone actually buying that are you packaging it correctly and marketing it well and i think what you said there is fantastic. Like sometimes a hobby can just stay as a hobby and sometimes your side hustle can grow into a fantastic business, but find someone to buy it first. So I love that. So let's stay in the world of tax for actors. What are some of the typical questions you mainly get asked or anything that you would say that would maybe make your job easier to stop people asking you that question? Uh, it uh, This year has come up time and time again um and it maybe is jumping a few steps ahead but i have to say it before i forget payments on account it is absolutely not advertised by hmrc it's not discussed in graduate tax talks um and it's not understood and it's this uh thing that comes out as a complete surprise um, at the end of the year, when you when you do your self-assessment, you put all the numbers in and 
oh god there's this thing mm -hmm. called payments on account and suddenly my my couple of grand tax bill is four grand what the hell is this um so i won't like delve into it but let me just kind of just really sum it up really quickly so when your um tax bill for a particular year hits a certain threshold which is roughly a thousand pounds if your tax bill is over a thousand pounds you're not only required to pay uh the tax for the previous year hmrc also expect you to pay money into your tax account in advance towards next year's tax bill uh so for instance let's say my tax bill this year for 1920 was 1500 pounds not only would i have to pay off the 1500 pounds in tax from last year hmrc would want me to put another 1500 pounds in my tax account towards next year's tax bill and why they do that i won't go into on this podcast because it will take me 10 minutes to explain it but um that is a absolute kicker because if you are a, a grad who graduates in the kind of, does their showcase in kind of february march graduates april lands mamma mia west end that starts in may and does a full year in town your tax bill is going to be somewhere between three thousand and five thousand pounds you're going to have to pay on account so essentially in your first year of self-employment your tax bill is going to look like it's double that amount so we're talking somewhere between six and ten thousand pounds and that is a real shock to most people no, yeah, completely. I remember when I first saw that you could go as performers, you might be earning good money, but it can come like you might have a really good month of gigs or you're filming something and then some quiet months. So although you've earned that money, it might not have been a consistent income. So I think that's definitely something really good to flag. Talking about grads, then if there is a um, someone listening who is quite a fresh grad can you in a nutshell kind of talk about do they need to register as self-employed and then is there a difference be by maybe registering as a sole trader or a limited company or anything like that okay yeah absolutely so from a kind of legal obligation point of view um you are legally required to register for self-assessment once you start earning more than a thousand pounds in a year uh from kind of self-employed means so we're not talking about a part-time job in sainsbury's or something we're talking about self-employed income you are legally required to register for self-assessment self-employment once your earnings go over a thousand pounds so for grads you know that it will all depend on the the timing of when you graduate but you you're probably gonna earn more than a thousand pounds in your first year out of college you know you might do a few bits of short films you, you know a couple of gigs uh you know a few online bits obviously it's weird at the moment um and then you are required to register by the following october does that make sense yes okay so if you don't earn a thousand pounds you know you graduate and you you go and work front of house at the dominion or something and you and you don't earn a thousand pounds which is the story for a huge proportion of graduates um then you aren't legally required to register as self-employed however whether you're legally required or whether you choose to register are two different things 
even if you're not making money, you are still a business. You're still self-employed. As soon as you graduate and you go out into the world of performing, you are a performance business. You're still going to auditions. You're still going to class. You're still, you know, going to singing lessons. You're still self-taping. You're still buying equipment to self-tape from home. You're still buying software for your computer. All the while, you're still running your business. Yes, it's not making any money yet, but you are spending money as a self-employed person. And you can, in that instance, register for self-employment or self-assessment before you start making money. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. So you're legally required to register if you start earning more than a thousand pounds in the tax year. But my personal uh, thoughts, and this doesn't constitute financial advice, my personal thoughts is once you've graduated, it kind of makes sense to register as self-employed. Um, because you are a business, you exist, you are spending money on your business. How you process that on your tax return, and, and we'll talk about losses and carrying forward, you might want to, you know, um, engage the services of a reputable theatrical accountant, such as tax for actors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, those, those are the kind of two options. Um, you touched on limited company. Look, if you're just bang out of college, um, you should be registering as a self-employed sole trader. So you are a, a one-man band, you work for yourself, you are self-employed. Registering as a limited company, um, is something that you should discuss with your accountant if you are thinking about it. Um, there's a few reasons for becoming a limited company. I mean, tax efficiency is one. Um, limited liability is another. Branding is, is certainly a reason. But these are, these are conversations you should have possibly further down the line. Um, it's not applicable to the majority of people coming out of college that's fab and I it might have changed now but I remember when I graduated gosh what 13 14 years ago we didn't really have a tax a person come in to talk about tax and it might have changed now so I think already just that little nugget people will be like ah and it's even if you're listening and you're graduating as an artist a graphic designer a, a gamer photographer whatever it is anything that's going to be self-employed heed Owen's advice there and register when it comes then to receipts and expenses, and again, you don't have to dive into this too much. I think that's one thing that's quite confusing for freelancers is they're like, oh, I can just claim back anything to do with my job. But we know there's sometimes a grey area when something that may be specifically for your job actually can be used in your day to day life. So are there any kind of golden rules when it comes to maybe claiming expenses or do you need to keep receipts of certain things? Okay, so uh, I'm going to break it down really kind of concisely as best I can. Otherwise, this podcast will go on for two hours. Um, <laughs> income minus expenses equals profit. So how much you earn, take away anything that you spent in your business equals profit. And it's your profit that gets taxed at the end of the year. The reason why everybody, certainly in the acting industry gets so kind of uh, 
delves into the whole expenses side of things is because the more expenses that you can put through, the lower your profit, the lower your tax bill. That's why everybody talks about expenses all the time. Um, and there is that desire to claim as much as possible. Um, with regards to keeping receipts um, to kind of back up those expenses, my advice is this, always keep a receipt for every single purchase that you make through the year, whether it be a £2.50 cost of coffee or a £1,000 iPhone 10. Like, just keep a receipt for every single bit of money that you spend, whether you think it's business or not. Because at the end of the year, the more information that you've got at your fingertips, I guarantee you, the lower your tax bill will be. Because there's nothing worse than getting it to the end of the year and going, oh God, I didn't keep receipts for three months. I've got no proof that I was on tour buying food, uh, you know, and I've got no record of the, the cash that I gave to Mrs. Miggins in Hull <laughs> on the UK tour of Joseph. Like, get a receipt for everything. It will benefit you in the long run. In regards to like tax and claim, that kind of feeds into, I'll keep this as my last tax question because otherwise, like you said, we'll be here all day. When it comes to maybe buying a property and I know cause of lockdown, some performers are maybe re-evaluated um, that they actually don't need to be as London centric as they thought. So they're moving back home or slightly out and therefore actually have enough for a deposit. Is there any tips then when it comes to tax that you think could help any creatives or freelancers out there thinking I want to buy a property are there any measures they should maybe put in place to help them kind of get there yeah for sure and I, I guess I want to start on a positive note this <laughs> fallacy that getting a mortgage as an actor is somehow more or less difficult than any other person I think needs to be dispelled sooner rather than later like when you go through the, the application for a mortgage, um, it's not necessarily that much harder as a performer. Why uh, performers generally feel that they struggle to buy a house is usually because their mortgage application is based on their profit, not their income. So whilst they might have done a year in the West End and they you know, had an income of 40,000, they've offset 15,000 in expenses. Their profit is 25,000. It's that number that the bank uses to decide how much you can borrow. And that is, you talked about being London centric. If you're trying to buy in London as a performer, um, you just probably for the majority, you know, 95% of actors, you just don't earn enough to borrow enough money with the bank or the building society or the, the lender. That's the issue. And that is the, 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 big, the big thing that, that holds performers back from buying a house is generally, if you're, you know, a day-to-day -day jobbing actor, you're probably not earning enough to borrow enough to buy a property in London. That's as a generalization, but I would say that that is a fairly accurate generalization. Um, what that means is, if you're trying to buy a house, you have to plan for it, um, probably two to three years in advance, um, because a, a bank or a mortgage company or a, a broker, lender, they're gonna look at two to three years of your accounts. 
how much have you earned over the last two to three years? And they're probably going to take an average. So if you've had, you know, a good year, then a crap year, then a good year, that crap year is going to bring your average down. And again, that means you can't borrow as much money. Um, so buying a house, you kind of need to have a goal in mind and say, right, for the next three years, I need to make sure that I'm earning X amount of money each year. And so that might mean that you have to go out on the grind and really like work every gig that you possibly can and work a PAYE job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And then the final bit, and it, it seems counterproductive, um, but this is the advice I give to a lot of clients who start talking about you need to go and start looking at houses and property prices, you know, because at the end of the day, you might want to live in Broccoli zone two, but a two bed flat in Broccoli is like 380,000 right now. That's a huge amount of money. And if you're, you know, a new grad and you've just been a jobbing actor, you are not going to be able to borrow enough to buy a 380 pound, a 380,000 pound two bed flat in Broccoli. So you're going to have to start looking at other areas and it's that, research that will help your decision process um i take me and my wife for example we we met on a job we came off the job we were renting in broccoli stratus <laughs> probably why i picked that example um and we've been working well for two or three years both of us uh and we looked at a flat in broccoli because we loved it uh, and we couldn't afford it not even close um so we started looking around and we ended up moving to Leighton Buzzard, which is like now just the West End Express. Like the train from Newton to Leighton Buzzard is the West End Express. There's so many of the performing fraternity there. Uh, but we bought our first flat seven years ago for £100,000 because that was pretty much all we could get as a mortgage. Um but then Leighton Buzzard, you know, it, on the fast train, it's 28 minutes from Leighton Buzzard to Euston. I mean, you might think, you know, the, the train from Sydenham, from Penge in southwest, uh, southeast, they take just as long to get into the centre of London. So, yeah, I, I just say do your research. Start looking at house prices. Start getting an idea of what the housing market looks like because then you've kind of got, somewhere to aim for for sure i feel like you're my spirit animal because i used to live in broccoli as well and now i'm starting oh. to look at property so i'm like oh, you're showing me the way owen you're showing me the way we now live in uh newport pagnell i mean rock and roll jamie and newport <laughs> um but it's because we used to live in Leighton buzzard we lived uh in a flat and then we did it up made some money on it uh moved into a house and then we were looking, um, talking about kids. We needed a bigger house and they were just too expensive in Leighton Buzzard. And our office was in Newport Pagnell, um, which is like 20 minutes away. So we, we looked here and we found the house we needed. And, you know, we, we love it. But it works for us. You know, neither my wife or I are working in London at the moment. Um, and we benefit from not being near a train station. So we get cheaper. We get more house for our buck you know um but it's a nice place to be Leighton Buzzard's lush like it's a great place for all actors to go there's a, an amazing acting community there so worth a look yeah well all of that advice was phenomenal and 
obviously at the end we will do your social handles but i've got two quick questions to ask you before i let you go on with your day who or what inspires you so it could be a person a book is there anything that's kind of helped g you up along the way Uh, i knew you were going to ask this question and i've been trying to prepare for it and i've really failed um (laughs) it's do you know what? I was going to say somebody like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or, you know, Bessos yeah. or something. But if you look at their stories, there was a huge element of risk in their journey from, you know, rags to riches. Obviously, they're very intelligent people. And Steve Jobs had, you know, programming and computer knowledge. And, and Elon Musk had, uh, you know, an engineering uh, experience so they, they had skills but they've taken massive risks if that risk had not paid off you would not have heard of Steve Jobs you wouldn't hear, have heard of Elon Musk so there's there's thousands of people like them who've taken a risk and it's not paid off um, I, I admire more um, people who have worked hard had a vision and, and done it sensibly. And I know that's not a sexy answer, um, but I like to see people building businesses or careers through application, hard work, um, and being nice people. So I guess my inspiration, and this sounds really like idiotic and really cliched, but my clients, like the tax tractors clients, are actually my inspiration. Um, I have seen some of my clients who've been with us since day one, you know, who've been with us for like 10 years. And I've seen their career absolutely grow and blossom. And, you know, we've got a a fairly decent proportion of our clients are on TV in stuff that you and I will watch of an evening. Um, and you will recognize their faces and they will be in the national press or you'll see them do like a charity TV program. You're like, oh my gosh, I remember you 10 years ago when you graduated from Arts Ed and now look at you. Like, and I've been there through their journey and seen how hard they've worked to get there. And that's inspiring. Um, they, they've worked hard at their craft and they've got a bit of luck along the way, of course, but that that is inspiring. It's inspiring to see our clients progress. And it might not be, oh, getting a Netflix series. It might be that they went, Owen, oh, I've done five years of acting. It's been all right. It's not really worked out, but I've just started my yoga business. And, uh, you know, can you look after the accounts for that? And then you see that over the two or three years, their yoga business grows immeasurably. And you see the support for that business like so i've got so many kind of inspirations on our client list of of, you know for different reasons and i'm sure they're they're probably love listening to that because again as creators we very rarely stop to pat ourselves on the back so i'm sure if they're listening right now they're probably thinking yes i have achieved a lot i i fangirl a lot over our, over our clients like I was in performing that doesn't go away and sometimes I pinch myself and go and you're like you're sat there watching Netflix and you're watching one of your clients and going oh my god they're really good like, <laughs> oh my god they're like they're in this massive series and they're doing such an incredible job I didn't know they could do it like it's I, I fangirl like 
I sit there and I'm just absolutely beaming from ear to ear because, you know, I'm not their agent or anything. I'm just their accountant. But I feel like I am, I guess, part of their business. I'm part of their support network. Um, so you, 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 I don't know, you revel in their success. I love that. So the last question, and I will let you go, I promise, is, is there a quote or a mantra that you either live by or you use, again, just to kind of help you along, along the journey you're on? Yeah, I guess. Um, and it sounds a bit cliche. Uh, it's be kind. Um, I don't see the need to try and get ahead in this world uh, through I don't know, tactics that don't sit well with kind of my um, core values. I always want to live by my core values. And one of those is be kind to people. And I, I won't, won't say that I have succeeded 100% of the time in my entire life. There's certainly been times where maybe I've been slightly unkind, but I do strive to be kind to people. Um, and I hope that I really, I guess I really hope that that translates in our relationship with our clients at Tax Fractors. Because at the end of the day, I spend hours and hours every week dealing with accounts. And that is, you know, 10 years of, of kind of real world experience. And it plays on my performing experience and, it, uh, and my training and research. Um, but my clients are not accountants so if i'm asked a question that to me may seem simple why should i respond in any other way than kindness and understanding because they're leaning on us to help them and and i guess that's what we're here for i just i just hope that our our clients feel our our kind of goal is is to be kind and be supportive. Um, we, we've we've not tried to get ahead using tactics that I guess don't align with that. Um, yeah, I guess that is the the driving force for sure. Where can people find you online, um, or if they want to book a session and um, for their tax, where can they find you? Um, I mean, if you're a third year grad, we do a lot of graduate tax talks because education about tax is, is huge for us. You know, it's a real motivator. We, we want to we want to leave the industry better than it was than, you know, so educating about tax and self-employment is a big thing. So if you're a third year grad, chances are we might be seeing you on a Zoom over the next, uh, you know, six or eight months. Um, where can you find us? Our website is www.taxforactors.com um, and it's just had a revamp, so that's exciting. Um, we're on Twitter and Instagram at taxforactors, F-O-R rather than the number. Um, uh, or if you want to drop me an email, owen at taxforactors.com. 
I'm so glad there are companies like Tax for Actors and people like Owen who are helping creators and freelancers with elements of running the business like tax. I know I would have benefited from it so much early on in my career. Their contact details are in the show notes, so head over to social media, follow them, check out their website for the amazing advice and information that they have already put out there. And again, if you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave your review. And I'll be back next week with another episode.